Election College, episode 246, Rutherford B. Hayes, part one. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, when it comes to talking about presidents from Ohio, probably the last person I think about is our friend Rutherford B. Hayes. Kind of a shame because his beard is pretty epic. Well, yeah. I mean, if you have a good beard, you might as well be from Ohio. That's what I say. And I just try to live that life. That's that's how I feel about it. Wow. I never associated your life with Rutherford B. Hayes, and now I am. Well, hey, you know, I'm a special guy, and Rutherford B. Hayes also was a special guy. He was born in Delaware, Ohio in 1822, and his father was also uh, Rutherford Hayes. Not He wasn't Rutherford B. Hayes, just Rutherford Hayes Jr. And he was a storekeeper who uh, was from Vermont in about 1817, about five years before uh, Rutherford B was born. He moved down uh, to Ohio, moved the family down, his wife, Sophia. And then uh, about 10 weeks before Rutherford is born, he dies. Oh, man. So, Sophia, and if you ever wondered where Rutherford got his B, it's from Sophia, his mom. Her maiden name was Burchard. And yeah, that's what the B means. Burchard. Um, She really takes the family and raises them. (laughs) Um, uh, Rutherford and his sister, Fanny, there were four kids born to the home, but only Fanny and Rutherford uh, survived to adulthood. And Sophia's brother, uh, who was younger, but still, you know, with a name like Sardis, you sound old. Uh, Sardis comes and lives with the family for a while. And he is like a father figure uh, to Rutherford, and he helps him in his early education. Now, it's worthy of noting about Rutherford's ancestry because both sides of the family, they come from New England. Uh, His dad's lineage can be traced back to Scotland, and they came over in 1625. That's like five years after the Mayflower. So, The Hayes family, wow, they've been around for a long time. And then his mom's family came over around the same time, and they settled in Vermont. It's kind of worth noting about Ohio. I don't know if many know this, but the northern part of Ohio, that was actually like Connecticut territory. So a lot of people in that area of Ohio from a couple hundred years ago, they would have had a lot of people and the like in that camp where they would have come over from New England. So if you've ever heard of like Case Western Reserve um, University, that's because the Western Reserve was part of Connecticut's part of Ohio. So Rutherford ends up going to you know some of the common schools in Delaware. And then in 1836, he ends up going to Methodist Norwalk Seminary. 
and that's in Norwalk, Ohio. And, uh, you know, he does well there. He ends up going to a, a prep school back up in Connecticut. He studies a bunch of Latin and Greek and stuff like that. And when he's done there, he comes back to Ohio, goes to Kenyon College, and uh, he does pretty well. He's, you know, a, a smart guy. He does well in school and uh, gets interested in a bunch of different societies in school and joins up with the Whig Party as a uh, college student. So he ends up being the valedictorian when he graduates, goes to law school in Columbus, and he moves back east a little ways and uh, goes to Harvard Law School. So there he graduates, gets admitted to the bar, and opens up an office in what would have then been known as Sandusky, uh, but now know as Fremont. Yeah, so his business gets off to a slow start, but he's gradually getting some help with um, some of the contacts that his uncle had made, his uncle, you know, Sardis. And in 1847, something horrible happens. He becomes ill and his doctors think that he's got tuberculosis. So what do you do when you have tuberculosis? You get out of town and you do that by enlisting in the Mexican-American War because, hey, why not? Dry air, right? Because that's what everybody did 100 years ago. When you got sick, you moved to the Southwest. That's right. Well, his doctors are like, no, dude, don't do that. The army probably isn't the best place to be when you have tuberculosis to, to get cured. So uh, his doctor's like, why don't you go back east and uh, hang out with some of your family there in New England? Oh, Ben, I forgot to mention this about his family uh-huh. that were out east, but one of his uh, cousins, and it always sounds distant when you say cousin, but you're my cousin. True. We're not distant. Um, his cousin, John Humphrey Noyes, he was the founder of the Oneida community. Have you ever heard of these utopian societies that sprung up in the mid and late 1800s? Yes, but not the Oneida community. Yeah. So you've heard of like the silverware Oneida? Yeah. You ever heard of that? Uh Yeah. That's actually a um, out of that geographic area. And um, maybe even some of the descendants of the Oneida community came out of that. Um, But this was one of those crazy utopian societies that if you research this at all, you're going to be like, what? Oh my goodness. Like everybody was hanging out with everyone. If you know what I mean? Maybe we should do an episode on that sometime. I don't know if it'd be, you know, if it would fit right into uh, election college, but yeah. And it's definitely not very family friendly, but a part of our history that, you should probably know about. Anyway, at least it's worth, um, you know, maybe 10 minutes of your time. So Hayes moves back to Cincinnati in 1850, and uh, he ends up opening up a law office and he gets a partner. And later his partner's like, hey, forget you. I'm going to this more established firm, and it's going to make me more money and stuff like that. So Rutherford is forced to, of course, find a different partnership. And, uh, he really likes being in Cincinnati. It's a uh, it's a nice place, a nice social place. Uh, he ends up joining a couple of different societies, including the Odd Fellows and the Cincinnati Literary Society. And uh, while he's there, he meets his future wife, Lucy Webb, and his mother actually sets them up. And um, you know, this is 
few years before he's actually interested and he's like nah she's kind of immature so we'll just leave that alone for now and then uh, a few years later he's like huh okay i get it now maybe uh, maybe i'll hang out with her so they end up getting engaged in 1851 and get married in 1852 and throughout the next few years they have some kids and she is not only a Methodist, but also a teetotaler and an abolitionist. And this really influences Rutherford's views on, you know, those issues and obviously a lot more. Uh, but he never really joins her church. You know, he, he attends with her, but he doesn't uh, find it necessary to join. But note that she does influence a lot of his views on alcohol and slavery. So a lot of the experience that Rutherford had in his law practice was dealing with the, you know, the boring stuff that you don't think you're going to deal with if you go to law school, you know, commercial interests and things like that. But then, do, 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 he becomes a criminal defense attorney and he defends several people successfully who were accused of murder by using the insanity defense. And he ends up saving a lady from the gallows. She was instead confined to a mental institution. But then he also defended uh, some enslaved people who had escaped. And he thought that the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 was a, was a just a total crock and a scam. So he, I, I don't know if scam is the right word, but you know, a crock. And he defends these slaves. And he really gets a passion for helping people flee from slavery. And this causes him to rise to prominence in the newly formed Republican Party. So he declines a nomination uh, for a judgeship in 1856. And a couple of years later, some of his buddies are like, you know what? You need to do something because let's face it you're kind of a big deal around these parts. So why don't you accept the appointment of city solicitor for Cincinnati? And he's like, Hey, sounds good. So he fills a vacancy and he eventually is up for election in 1859. And he wins a full two year term. And not only does he win, but he gets a bigger majority than any of the other Republicans on the ticket. So not only is he rising to prominence politically, but within the Republican Party, he is a big deal. If you have been following along with the timeline, you know that the Civil War is coming up fast. And as a matter of fact, 1860 rolls around. The Southern states start to secede after Lincoln gets elected. And Hayes is like, you know what? Let him go. Like, they don't want to be part of us. We don't want them then. That's fine. Whatever. Uh, no use to have a, a war and shed a bunch of blood. And so that's his opinion on things. And uh, Hayes ends up, you know, kind of getting out of the politics. He is no longer city solicitor within a, uh, a year or two there. And he's just kind of like, well, I, I don't really know what I should do. I guess I'll go back and have my own practice again. And then the Confederates are like, we're going to shoot on Fort Sumter. And Hayes is like, okay, you know what? That's it. We weren't, we weren't in a war. You did this. Now we're in a war. And so he joins up with a volunteer company, uh, ends up being in the 23rd regiment of the infantry after that. And 
gets promoted to major. Um, he ends up, uh, you know, joining the same regiment along with William McKinley, who we know is later on becomes president as well. So quite the star-studded uh, regiment there in the infantry. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's kind of interesting, and I'll just throw this in because here I am from the Cincinnati area. You know, we don't hear a lot about Rutherford B. Hayes in this good old town of us uh, here in Cincinnati. It's just he gets overshadowed by some of the other presidents that hail from this area. And granted, he did spend his time all over Ohio. But just a little sidebar about the political climate prior to the Civil War. Cincinnati was very much abolitionist. And if you go to the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center, which is a beautiful building right on the banks of the mighty Ohio, it's really worth checking out. You will see some of the church records and other things from before the war where Cincinnati is very pro-abolitionist. But then as we approach the Civil War, more and more people, I don't know if it's people fleeing from the South or or what, but the sentiment starts to change. And politically, Hayes kind of gets booted out of office just because, well, I don't know, booted out of office is the right word, but he doesn't get re-election because the Democrats really take over the town. And that plagues the city for decades, even almost a century later. So interesting study there. But anyway, Hayes and McKinley and all these great guys from the 23rd Ohio, they set out and they're going to Western Virginia. Now, if you know anything about Western Virginia at the time of the Civil War, you know, it's not like the rest of the state. And we've talked about that before, where West Virginia, you know, it's mainly Scots-Irish mountain people who settle in that area. And then you've got the rest of Virginia that is completely different, you know, very aristocratic, um, mainly English descent, things like that. That's the whole reason West Virginia splits from the rest of the state. Yes, it was convenient that the Civil War was going on. You'll have to listen to that episode. I don't know. Google it. I can't remember the number. But what you do need to know is they're out there hanging out in West Virginia. McKinley becomes a war hero. Uh, which we alluded to in um, our interview with Robert Mary uh, about his book about President McKinley. But Hayes, he gets injured a couple of times. Um, he has an injury to his knee. I think he gets shot in his arm, uh, fractures his bone in another uh, battle. Uh, again, this is not a Civil War podcast, but it's interesting to know that he himself uh, had some scars of war. And Part of their mission was to divide Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia. Um, so he very much played a part in that of uh, busting up the Confederacy in their efforts there in Virginia. And then also kind of having a role in uh, securing Western Virginia as a part of the Union. Yeah, so throughout the war, he is, you know, really brave. He's a leader. And... Ulysses S. Grant, you know, his superior, notices him and writes about him that his conduct on the field was marked by conspicuous gallantry as well as the display of qualities of a higher order than that of a mere personal daring. And, uh, you know, of course, the campaign ends, the war ends. Uh, Hayes gets promoted to brigadier general 
and uh, becomes a breveted major general. And about the time this is all happening in 1864, Hayes learns that his son, George Crook Hayes, is born. And, of course, the uh, the army goes into through the winter and things are a little less uh, dramatic. Of course, the war officially wraps up uh, with the surrender at Appomattox. And uh, Hayes ends up going to Washington, D.C., he observes the grand review of the armies and then they go home and it's over. <laughs> so weird how like, you know, four years of your life just, Hey, it's done now. Go home. Yeah. I'm sure the days were long, but then the years went, went fast, but so he's out there um, just a little bit prior to this. So that's in 18, what, 64-ish, October, kind of, oh, the spring of 1865. But while he's out east, back in Ohio, the Republicans are thinking to themselves and thinking to each other, hey, Rutherford B. Hayes. I almost said Willie Mays Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> Rutherford B. Hayes is our guy. He's he rose to prominence in the Republican Party prior to going off to the war. And now he is an awesome military leader and has served his country well. He needs to run for the House of Representatives. And so some of his buddies were like, hey, Rutherford, come leave the army and campaign for your congressional seat because You've got this thing and you need to come out and do it. And Rutherford said, no, quote, an officer fit for duty who at this crisis would abandon his post to electioneer for a seat in Congress ought to be scalped. So he definitely didn't look like somebody who wanted to be scalped. So he continued his military exploits and he wins all the while by almost two and a half thousand votes over the incumbent. Yeah, it's really interesting because he ends up writing letters to the voters, uh, telling them about his political positions and stuff like that. Uh, so he, he wins. He doesn't win by a whole lot, but he does win and, uh, you know, didn't even campaign. And in that sweeping victory for uh, Rutherford B. Hayes, we will leave you until next time when we come back. But until then, we want to remind you, please head over and leave us a review on iTunes. It's the place to be for podcast reviews, and we would really appreciate it if uh, you know you went over and said hi, gave us five stars, told everybody how great we were. That'd be really cool. Yeah, and while you're behind the internet or in the internet or on the I don't know what proposition to use with internet. I guess on. All of them. Use all of them. Yeah. So you can interact with us on social media and wish us a happy new year as we wish you a happy new year. And with that, we will see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.